scripture reading this morning comes from Mark 5, 18 through 20, Acts 18, 1 through 3, and 18 through 23. You can find these in your pew Bible, page 710 or 786. Reading from the NIV, Mark 18, Mark 5, 18, excuse me. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not tell him, but he said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the people in Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all people were amazed. And turning to Acts 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome, Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. And then, beginning with verse 18 through 23, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Kincray because of the vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail for Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. As I indicated at the beginning of the service, this is a very different sermon from any that I've done before. A good deal of it will be illustrated uh, both through PowerPoint and through video. So say an extra prayer for Philip as I guide him through all of this. He doesn't even have the prompts that I usually give. I'm just going to give him the school teacher. I'm married to a school teacher, so I'm going to give you those, and that's when you advance them. It really has become our mantra here. The whole ch- Say it with me. The whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. Recently, based on a lot of um, research that a lot of us here have engaged in, uh, reading certain books like uh, uh, When Helping Hurts and The Poor Will Be Glad, which I saw John Morris uh, holding last Wednesday night. He was just reading it on his own. We've been really challenged as of late as to the fact that we do missions very well here. I mean, I take great pride in how amazing this church is in terms of its missional emphasis and effectiveness. But indeed, we can always do better. And that's what we're here to talk about today. We had a Wednesday night series on this, a very brief one, but nevertheless one that caused multiple people here to encourage me to do at least one sermon on this, and I agreed wholeheartedly just to be sure that we are all exposed to this understanding of how we might do mission work even better here. 
based on what a lot of the top Christian experts are telling us. And so I want us to keep that in mind today. And, and as we enter into uh, the uh, PowerPoint here, go ahead to the first one there, Philip. Uh, this is one thing I want us to keep in mind. Now, ordinarily these days, it's more in vogue for a preacher to wait for the punchline, the main point of the sermon to be later on. But as I really studied on this, reflected upon it, prayed about it, I kept coming back to three letters that stand for, for three words. And I'm not a big motivational speaker. Give me an acrostic or, or three key words and go with that. But it just fits for this morning. So we're going to do that today. R-D-E. Say that with me. R-D-E. They stand for relationship, diagnosis, and empowerment. The more I have been challenged by what I am learning with all of this, I keep going back to these three words with relationship really being the foundational matter, moving to a relational sense of diagnosis with those with whom we minister on site and then empowering those people. That's really the crux of the matter. But I want to take, it, uh, uh, take us on a journey to really understand fully what we're talking about here. Go to the next one there, Philip. And I think this is an interesting quote that you find uh, from a book entitled Toxic Christianity. And, and the research by Robert Lupton, who is very much a, a Christian, very much a believer, says this. He says this, The United States is the most irresponsibly generous nation in the world most irresponsibly generous. He goes on to say, giving to those in need what they could be gaining from their own initiative may well be the kindest way to destroy people. Look at his subtitle of his book, Toxic Charity, How Churches and Charities Hurt Those They Help and How to Reverse It. Now, have we been guilty of that at some point in time here as a church? Perhaps so, simply because we are in that stream of North American churches and I don't think we do it uh, nearly as, as poorly as other people do. I think overall we do very effective mission work. I just think we are always wanting to better ourselves and do this even more competently. And that's really what we're here to talk about this morning. Go to the next quote. There's one more really good one from Lepton there. He says this, For all of our efforts to eliminate poverty, we've already had poverty addressed here by Deb, for all of our efforts to eliminate poverty, our entitlements, our programs, our charities, we have succeeded only in creating a permanent underclass, dismantling their family structures and eroding their ethic of work. And our poor continue to become poor. We talked about this uh, at one point. In fact, it was based on the poor will be glad that I saw John reading the other day. You know that we have a microfinance ministry in the Dominican Republic that Tim and David Baines and who else went? Was it Kyle Hudgens? Hutch Cole went. And, and it's a wonderful ministry, and, and we, we talked about that on a certain Sunday, and some of you still remember my three points, which I really am amazed by and am very appreciative of. But we, I talked about how we are called to help the poor, and at the same time, the poor are called to help the poor, and we are called to help the poor help the poor. We're called to do all three of those. Microfinance is one example of that. But again, sometimes, as we'll see in some of these video clips, we fail to appreciate that those with whom we minister, with whom we minister, not to whom, with whom we minister, are created in the image of God just as you and I are and are empowered by God with gifts to help themselves as we come alongside and help them and help them to help others. And that's a, such an important thing to keep in mind. Go to the next one there, Philip. Uh, let me just, I'm going to throw these books out there, these book titles, simply because even the titles, I think, are so aptly named. Many of you have read When Helping Hurts, How to Alleviate Poverty Without Hurting the Poor, and yourself. Brian Feichert is one of the authors. We will see him in some of these video clips to come. Good next one, Philip. Toxic Charity, which is the one that I just mentioned a moment ago. 
This is a very good one for short-term missions uh, by David Livermore. Serving with eyes wide open, doing short-term missions with cultural intelligence. And finally, the one I saw John carrying around Wednesday night. The poor will be glad, joining the revolution to lift the world out of poverty by Peter Greer, who founded um, Hope International, that wonderful microfinance ministry. And uh, we've had Chris Oakley and others come and share about that incredible ministry, too. Okay, next one there, Philip. I think we go now. Is this where we go to the, the first video clip? This clip helps. And by the way, this is from a wonderful series that, that I'll make accessible to you. It's, it's a wonderful video series by a church called Church TV. I know that sounds strange. Uh, some of you have read some of Craig Rochelle's books. He's wonderful. And this is a wonderful series that really hits hard on this issue of doing more capable mission work. And this first video really has to do with misdiagnosing the problem sometimes that we've been guilty of that. And I want us just to enter into this video and uh, we'll let it take us where we need to go. Oh, you're the bird victim. Well, you're in luck as I hear laughter is the best medicine. I'll write you a prescription right away. <laughs> when you go to the doctor, the first thing the doctor does is try to diagnose what's wrong with you. If the doctor misdiagnoses your disease or if the doctor only treats symptoms rather than the underlying illness, you won't get better you might get worse. And notice it doesn't matter how much the doctor loves you. It doesn't matter how compassionate the doctor is. At the end of the day, if the doctor misdiagnoses what's wrong with you, that's not a neutral event. You won't get better. You might very well get worse. The same is true when we work with people who are poor. If we misdiagnose the causes of the problem, then our efforts to help the poor can very well hurt them. It doesn't matter how much compassion we have, it doesn't matter how well-intentioned we are, good intentions are not enough. It's very possible to hurt people in the very process of trying to help them. We see a problem when we treat symptoms, right? And symptoms counteract other symptoms. And this drug counter-reacts uh, with this drug, and we constantly are chasing systems and managing managing symptoms rather than getting to the core issue of the human condition. I've seen it time and time again. I've made the same mistake where we go in trying to solve a problem and we end up becoming a part of the problem. We saw people come in and, and want to do quote unquote good, but really their intention was, was just unfortunately too short. You have to make a long-term commitment to a people and a culture to see a long-term change. And a bottle of water is not going to change them long-term. You, know, you can disperse all the aid you want, but the reality is the next day, those people are hungry again. So if you want to feed 9 million people every day, that may help, but it doesn't change their well-being. That was it. Too often we found our efforts were out of a misdiagnosis of the problems our communities and neighbors were facing. We saw lack of things. We brought a carload of things we didn't need. We saw lack of food. We pulled in with a food truck. Rather than looking deeper at what may have caused the symptoms we saw, we simply responded to what was in front of us, and in many cases, enabling the disease to continue to grow. And the statistics are telling. In the U.S. alone, we are at an all-time high in our funding of poverty alleviation. And yet, our own poverty rate seems to remain the same. 
Worldwide, private spending on aid to developing countries has never been higher. And yet the disparity between the rich and poor countries has never been worse. But it doesn't stop with just material needs. Despite monumental efforts around the world, we see higher divorce rates, depression, substance abuse, natural disasters, human trafficking, violence, disease, and a host of other needs, all showcasing the relational and spiritual poverty gaps our world is facing. to do would be to look at some of the takeaways of that first video. There's some important truths I think that we need to keep in mind even as we learn about engaging in mission work ourselves. Uh, so let's go back to that uh, PowerPoint there, Philip. Okay, here's some takeaways that just from that brief clip. First of all, the church has sometimes misdiagnosed the problem in a, in a particular mission context, a place where we go, whether it's a mile down the road or a thousand miles down the road. Sometimes we can misdiagnose the problem, and sometimes we need to be more effective at that. Uh, we treat the symptoms instead of the root problem. We need to learn how to deal better with the root problems rather than the symptoms. I'll never forget years ago going to a conference where I heard a Rwandan pastor talking about that, and that's the first time it struck my thinking, and I think it needs to strike our thinking even more now. We try to solve problems but become a part of the problem sometimes. Our efforts are too short-term, and most significantly... A long-term commitment is key, and I want us to keep that in mind. Remember, the, the first, I said RDE at the beginning, relationship, diagnosis, empowerment. Relationship is the foundational matter. We need to enter into any missions enterprise in which we engage on a regular basis with a strong intention to build relationships in any effective way we can with that missions entity, whether it's Wilcox, whether it's Mongolia, whether it's Builders for Christ. Uh, anything else in between, the Rio team is there as we build our relationships with Rio and any others that we engage in here. So important, much more important than we might even realize. Now, I want to go to a wonderful example of this idea of relationship, a missional person who is intentional, intentional about being relational, and that's the Apostle Paul. As was read earlier on, he really is an example of relationship. When he went to Corinth, and stayed with Priscilla and Aquila. He was very intentional about being relational with them. He wasn't a minister who came in and gave his own agenda and, and in a sense, you know, lowered himself to, to reach them, you know, in a way that he's the missionary and they're not. He was careful to come alongside them. Now, he took time out to preach in the synagogues. That was a big part of what he did when he went to Corinth, but he also worked alongside the people there. After he founded churches and ministries, he always went back to visit them. That's another significant thing. Let me read from Acts 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of God and see how they are doing. This is interesting. This is after the first great missionary journey that Paul took. Paul took. When he was going on the second journey, he said, Let's not go to new places yet. Let's go back to those places that we helped found and see how they are doing. In other words, he forged ongoing relationships with them. In fact, if you look at it, he even went to cities where he was put in dire straits. When he was in the region that included the towns of, of Derby and Iconium and I, especially Lystra, the last time he was in Lystra because he was sharing the gospel and working alongside other Christians, he was stoned and beaten and left for dead at the city gate. So he suffered 
and suffered persecution even at that place. But you know what? He was so intent on continuing that relationship, it didn't matter to him. Relationship was the most important thing, so he went back and visited them. Again, a great example of one who came alongside and even after he left was intentional about going back to that mission site. And one other thing he did that I don't have up there, but think of his epistles, just the epistles he wrote themselves. Even when he could not get back to his places of ministry, his partnership ministries with the people who were there on site. Frequently he was imprisoned and there was no way that he could go back. But you could tell that he was very big on having representatives of those churches come and visit him if possible, or he, if he could, would go visit them. And all the more, he would correspond with them via letters, offering them encouragement, inspiration, wisdom sometimes, sometimes correction. But these relationships with him were so important. Relationship is the key as we continue to do our missional work here at Brookwood Baptist Church. Okay. We're going to go to, I think this is the next uh, time for another video. I love how Philip's nodding his head. He's so reassuring of me. A young man like him reassuring the pastor. God bless you, Philip. When we talk about relationship, I really want you to watch this next video closely because this is what it's about and where it's pointing us to is this idea of being stronger in relational missions. One of the key issues that we see in working with people around the world is that not all people are in the same situation. There are some people who are actually completely incapable of helping themselves. In that moment, relief is the appropriate intervention. Relief is a handout. Relief is literally providing something for somebody that they cannot provide for themselves. In the first few hours after the tsunami hits, there's a need for relief work. But, but once uh, the crisis is over, once the bleeding has stopped, people are actually capable of participating in their own improvement. The, the primary mistake that most North American churches make is they provide relief in inappropriate contexts. The vast majority of people around the world are not helpless, and we shouldn't treat them as though they are. We should use a more developmental approach that comes alongside of people and walks with them, bringing our gifts to the table and them bringing their gifts to the table so that both of us are more like what God has called us to be. I think like myself, we've, we've made a lot of mistakes in this, this uh, realm of doing mission work. I think people think of it um, in terms of an experience rather than a relationship. Now we use the word relationship, but we don't know how to do it because we see people as a problem to be solved. God sees people as people to be known. Packed full, very concentrated, with a lot of important truths, a lot of important takeaways, especially as you develop relationships coming alongside and learning from the people in that context. Just yesterday morning when, when I was walking uh, with some of the people around the track uh, when we go on Saturday mornings, they were talking about how uh, uh, the pastor, Ralph Garth, at True Vine is leading a series on financial health. And I think someone, you know, my understanding is someone suggested Dave Ramsey to him, but Dave Ramsey in his context there at True Vine does not work. First and foremost, he is trying to encourage the members there to save money and not be drawn into these tidal pond 
schemes and that kind of thing. And again, so, so he's having to modify it for that, but we're helping resource him. But we needed to learn from him what he needs. He knows what folks there need better than we do. Sometimes we want to go in and fix the problem, fix the people, when really our good intentions fall flat because we're not listening to the people on site and trusting the indigenous ministers who are already there. Now, I want to look at some of the takeaways along with that, with this second video. Go to, go to the, Relief is appropriate where there's an immediate need due to a major crisis. Remember, he said, if there's a tsunami, if a tornado hits, if there's a hurricane, relief is appropriate. But relationship takes precedence, more important in all contexts. Sometimes we enter into a relationship with a missional place, a missional site, with people there, but we treat it more like relief work than a relationship where we even learn from them and they help us learn to help them better and they often help us as well. Have any of us been blessed just by this partnership with True Vine, for instance? We've been blessed by that ourselves and I could name all the rest of them as well. Next one there, Philip. The primary mistake of North American churches is that they provide inappropriate relief in inappropriate contexts. Again, the people on site are not completely helpless. We don't have to fix them in every way and come in with the same colored T-shirts, as Brian Feichert says, and, you know, we're here to tell you that, that there's something wrong with you and we're going to fix you. Next one. We are to use a de developmental approach. Come alongside the people in these contexts. Next. Missions is not an experience but a relationship. He said that right at the end. Sometimes we even treat our short-term mission trips more as a, a, you know, a single organic experience as opposed to a relationship that we can build with those partners in ministry there on site. We need to think of it more in those terms. And finally, don't see people as a problem to be solved, but as a people to be known. I'm going to say that again. Don't see people as a problem to be solved, but as a people to be known. <laughs> particularly those who are engaging the same enterprise that we are, which is bringing the kingdom of God to the world. The believers there need our help in a way that we're able to be of true help. Okay, now I want to go to Jesus because I want to go to this, and you'll hear this phrase in the next clip. We need to take an asset-based approach. We need to look at the strengths that folks there on site already have, you know, the capacities that they already have in order to reach people for Christ and again, they are on site there. They know better than we are what needs to be done. We need to look at their assets and help facilitate those assets as opposed to us doing more of a paternalistic kind of charity work. And let's do keep that in mind. I love this story, and I, I wonder if Richard and Joe Hempstead, when they were up here, they were like, why does Barnett want us to read just the very end of this story of Jesus healing the uh, Gadarene demoniac? The fellow, remember, he was naked in a cemetery and, and bruising and, and, and uh, cutting himself. He really was deranged, and Jesus came along and healed the man in that cemetery. He was healed instantly, uh, but we notice with that, Jesus told the man, the man wanted to go follow Jesus at that point. He was like, this man has healed me. I've been set free from my bondage. I want to follow him the rest of my life. What does Jesus tell the man to do? Did anybody remember the passage? What does he tell him to do? Go back to his town, to his friends, to his culture, to his context. Go back to your people group and share what has happened to you. Testify as to what has happened to you. Now, now I want to ask you, this is a guy who's been known to have been running around naked in a cemetery, gashing himself and frightening people. And suddenly Jesus says, you know what? I created you in my image and you have the capacity, you have assets, you have the gift of this to go and share the gospel. I could see some people saying, certainly he does not have the capacity to do that. Jesus believed in him. 
Jesus entrusted the gospel to him, and he went back and took the gospel to his own people. And it says the people were amazed as he testified to them. He was an effective witness. Jesus trusted the man to go back to his place of service, to his hometown as an indigenous person there, and do the work of the gospel. The man was effective, as I said, in testifying to Christ. Go to the next one. Jesus trusted the man's gifts to be used in the man's home context with his people. And Jesus adopted an asset-based approach and let the man take the lead in sharing the whole gospel with others. Is this the next video, Philip? This is so important. Notice what he says about an asset-based approach in here because that's what Jesus did with the Gerardine demoniac after he was healed. He trusted the gifts that he had. And obviously... We need to find out ways to trust the people who are out there doing ministry on site every day. Because we leave, but they remain. If you walk up to a person and say to them, uh, in essence, what's wrong with you? Um, How can I fix you? You're you're exacerbating the very problem we're trying to solve. They feel inferior. They feel disempowered. We feel superior. And to walk into a community like that and say, what's wrong with you? Uh, How can I, in essence, fix you? It it completely starts off on the wrong foot. So I would look for organizations that use an asset-based approach. That start off with the goodness of creation. That start off by assuming that the people in that community are what Scripture says they are. They're people created in the image of God who have dignity and worth and capacity. Start with that. And so an asset-based approach literally says to people, what gifts do you have? What are you good at? What skills do you have? What abilities do you have? What are the good things that are already happening in the community? The question itself is an empowering question because they are being asked to consider the idea they might actually be somebody. They might actually be something. When we started the apartment ministry with the refugees, I heard a guy say this, that we need to be learners. The first thing we did was go to apartment management and say, we live in the neighborhood, we're your neighbors, and we want to to help people. I asked the manager, what is your vision for this property? Oh man, we've had a vision to do a classroom because people are struggling with English. We say, that's a great idea. We've been teaching people English in their apartments and we need a central space. We created a partnership to create an on-site learning center wasn't my idea, it was her idea. And we partnered together. Brad didn't start with a solution. Instead, he began with a question. And that question brought to light assets the apartment owners had to work with. Space to create a language learning lab and the desire to meet a need. Brad and the Sparrow Project then connected the financial resources of a local church to furnish the space with computers and language software. Now, dozens of residents are developing language skills and looking for jobs. I came to the United States 2008, September. I don't know English language, but Sparron helped for me. The learning English, I'm working the business coffee right now. Now that I am working with the public, my English getting better and better. It's important to learn English because I, I need to in future take a profession. I'm thinking in future go to college. I love cooking, maybe go learn 
like chief to take classes for cooking class, and I need to learn English so much. But anyway, I need to learn English. When you search for the gold in someone, the, the strengths that God has put in them, we all have strengths, and really focus on that. That's where they learn to really thrive and love what they're doing and, and be all a part of that. And one of the things you learn through wrestling is just mental toughness, how to persevere through tough situations. You know I, know, I know that those kids are tough. You just have to help draw it out of them by encouraging them, by speaking life into them, by speaking encouragement into the situation that they, that they can do this, that they do have that, they do have what it takes. Tyler and his team are all about recognizing and affirming what God has already placed inside of every kid. In Ecuador, the local church that operates the child survival program fosters that same hopeful spirit. While the promoters from Compassion's Child Survival Program go out and visit moms in their homes throughout the week, two Saturdays a month, all of the moms come together and meet at the local church. They share homemaking ideas, gain skills to earn more income, and support each other. So, what's cool is you got, you got moms and babies and kids in here who are not followers of Christ, and they're being invited to the church to come learn how to make carameled apples to produce income, and it's all from their perspective through the local church. Like, there's nowhere I see around that it says compassion anywhere. They're looking at it as if this is the, the church that's doing this. You know, I'm um, being sincere, that's intentionally. Is the church the one who is changing the community? Is the church the one that received the calling from God to do this? So we're just supporting what the church, the local church, has as a vision, how they want to impact the communities. We are there to support each one of them to do what God is calling them to do. It's a great, a great project, a great vision, and it's working. You can't argue with the results. Personally, um, we have to be cautious on what motivates us because we can step into a third world culture and think that we have a better way of doing something. But the truth of the matter is in their village, they have everything they need already to transform their lives. The blessing of God itself makes a man rich and it adds no sorrow to it. Asking people to be the solution to their own problem putting Christ as the center of the human condition, the solution of a relationship with God, allowing them to innovate so that when we leave, we drive out of the dangerous neighborhood, we go to our homes elsewhere. Guess who stays? Guess who becomes a part of their own solution? People that live there, work there, that die there. That's what empowerment really is. Very important word for us. And I know that we have some takeaways I wanted to mention from those as well. Philip, just when you can get those up and don't feel rushed, you've been magnificent thus far. Uh, yeah, go to the next one. Here we go. Takeaways from clip three. Don't try to fix people. Next one. 
asset-based approach. The people in that community are created in God's image and have dignity and worth themselves. And we've got to keep that in mind. We are in no way above them. We are there to partner with them. And we can learn from them as every bit as much as uh, they learn from us. Discern their strengths and the good things already happening. How is God already at work in these places? That's where we need to get on board. Don't start with a solution. Begin with a question. Again, we need to be their learners. Ask, what do you need? What is your vision of this place for these people? Help empower people to be the solution to their problems. Again, don't leave them eventually. Even when we leave, as he was talking about, we maintain those relationships. And obviously, as he said at the close, having Christ as the center of that solution. Okay, now, uh, just some general thoughts, I think, based on a lot of what we're reading and hearing from all these persons, just very quickly. Never do for the poor what they have or could have the capacity to do for themselves. Again, help the poor, help the poor, and remain in relationship with them and facilitate that however we can. Acknowledge that God is bigger than your short-term mission trip. Every one of these books makes that strong point, and it's not just an experience, it's a relationship. Long-term involvement is where quality transformation takes place. Incorporate short-term missions as a part of your seamless relational work with your on-site mission partners. Don't just let it be, as I've heard some of you say here, a drive-by mission trip and you leave. We develop a relationship with them. Listen closely to those you seek to help. And now, what do we at Brookwood need to do? How does all this apply to Brookwood? Let me just address this briefly. First of all, don't drop the good relationships we already have. I don't want anyone to think, oh, we need to narrow our focus and, and drop some of these missions relationships we have. We, sh- we can't. They're too rich. But we want to enrich them all the more. I would say we probably need to be very hesitant, and we can be a very fix-it, a very rescuer-type church, which is wonderful. But I would say we need to zero in on those relationships we already have. We, don't, we need it to remain a bullet approach and not a buckshot approach. We don't need to scatter ourselves too much. We need to focus on developing relationships with the ministries that we have all the more. Wilcox, uh, Mongolia, Rio. What is one I've left out and I'm not giving any airplay? What is it? Builders for Christ. I did mention builders and I'm thinking there's one more I just haven't even mentioned. But all of those are so important. Uh, next one. Learn how we can incorporate the asset-based approach to each of our missions, ministries, learning to empower the people in their particular context. Okay? And this is a challenge I have, and none of these teams know this about missions committee, but I want to challenge the Jerusalem team, the Judea team, the Samaria team, and ends of the earth team to do this. Muse on this, reflect on it, pray about it together. Select one of your ministries that falls under your rubric, whatever it might be, and discern a way that we can enhance our relationship with one of the ministries for which you answer to the full tribe, to the full church. In other words, what is one of those missions enterprises that we have? What is one extra step we can take in each one of those four rubrics with a particular ministry in each of those rubrics that really enhances our relationship and strengthens it all the more? I want to challenge each of the teams to do that. Okay? Next one. I've thought about this, and it has kind of been staying with me. Now, our our mantra has been... The whole church taking the whole gospel to the whole world. And I want us to keep that. That's so easy to remember. As I've been learning from all of this, both from Scripture and from these videos and from these books, it's made me be challenged to think about it sometimes in terms of the whole church sharing the whole gospel with the whole world. We're not just taking it to them to fix them. We are sharing it with those because those are our partners in Christ. And we're sharing the gospel and we're engaging the gospel and taking the gospel with them. I just think that's so important. God is already at work where we go. 
We share our mission with those who are already sharing the gospel where they live. They are we. We need to try to get away from a they and us mindset. We're all together in it. We develop our relationships with us. That is, those who are just in a different place, but who are a part of the greater tribe of Christ. And we empower those of us who live there to do what we cannot do. Go to the final. I think this is a final. Yeah, RDE. Again, don't go to the... Does anybody remember what the R stands for? Relationship. Anybody remember the D? Diagnosis. Okay, we foundationally develop these relationships and through that we diagnose the problems at a certain place with the people there and really let them take the lead because they're the ones going to be the ones to remain there and finally don't go to it yet philip the e does anybody remember empower god bless you all yes empowerment we do what we can yes to come alongside and help with what resources we have but all the more we focus on empowering the people there because they're going to be the ones who remain and will do Christ's work. And you know what? Just as Jesus entrusted the demoniac after he was healed to do that kind of work. After he entrusted the disciples, think about the ascension. (laughs) In Acts 1, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And that's right when Jesus leaves. And the disciples are left there looking up at the sky. And do you remember what happens? Because they had to be like, oh no, what do we do now? Jesus is gone. But the Spirit is coming, and two messengers are suddenly standing among them. And they say what? Do you remember this? This is in Acts chapter 1. They say, why are you looking up in the sky? What they're saying is, you've got work to do down here. He's entrusted that to you. And he's entrusted the people you're going to be reaching to do the work as well. Go and do it now. He's entrusting the same thing with us. Did he do amazing work through those disciples? Absolutely. Sometimes it was hard. Sometimes they suffered. Most of them died for what they were doing, but you know what? They did amazing work. He's entrusting us with that same gospel. So all this to say, will you engage all the more because he has entrusted us to get the gospel out there to the world and do it in the most effective manner possible. Will you join with that foundational enterprise that Brookwood Baptist Church is about? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for challenging us. We thank you for the gift of missions. It is such a gift, it is such a grace, it is such a blessing to us, but all the more, help us always to strive to do it better. And may this just begin the conversation, just begin the conversation as to how we can relate better, how we can do it better, how we can partner with those other tribe mates who are all over the world and learn from them, and may we learn ways to empower them. Lord, help us not to rest on our laurels ever as far as our missional work. Forgive us when we take too much pride in it. Help us to humbly always seek your guidance so we can do it all the better, all the more. We pray these things in your name. Amen.